Please be opening your Bible to the book of Psalms. We're also going to look at a passage in Joshua this morning. Book of Psalms, Psalm 127. Um, Got a little ring down here, guys, in the sound system. I'm going to try to hold back a little bit today. Since Thursday, I've been on medication for a sinus infection. I'm feeling much better. But uh, I know the way I preach, sometimes I'll I'll strip a few gears if I don't watch it today. So... um, Praying for our families in this new series, Igniting Our Children's Love for Jesus. And when kids are born, it's an exciting time, and we have all these dreams, what we want for the future, all these visions of what we think life will uh, be like, and it's exciting, but then life takes over, right? Uh, I think I'll get a pretty good response in the next service when, when I ask, how many of you are potty training right now? Uh, I mean, just, life just takes over, right? Um, trying to figure out the schedules, uh, feeding schedules, sleeping schedules. Get a little older, and now what, what, what preschool are we going to put them into? And do they have friends? And are they making friends? Are they having problems with that? And then they, they start school, and school supplies, and the homework. And, and uh, nowadays, even at the very young ages, all these other activities. Time passes and it's dance lessons and music lessons and sports and you get home after a long day of work and there's yard work, housework, laundry and uh, dinner. What's that? <laughs> um, and you have your job, your career on top of it. Kids keep growing, get older and then there's, you know, there's band and more sports and more activities, and then they start learning how to drive, and you have some anxious days. They get their license, and they're teenagers, and you have some anxious nights. Um, then you worry about grades and how you're going to pay for college. Then all the trips looking at colleges and choosing the right college, and and then they start dating somebody, and you got to figure out if you like the one they're dating or not. And uh, and then you got to meet that one's family, and that's a that's a that's an experience sometimes, isn't it? And uh, all these adjustments. And so, you know, life just has this way of taking over. And the day-to-day stuff consumes us. That's, that's pretty well normal, isn't it? Just the day-to-day stuff just takes over and consumes us. But the whole time, in the back of our mind somewhere, are those dreams, those big-picture things, those long-term desires and every now and then they try to push their way to the front and then something in daily life kind of pushes them back right and and one of the hardest things you'll ever do is keep those big picture things big dreams these these really keys to life keep them up here where they're in focus and make decisions on the base of those that 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 takes effort but it's so very very important this week uh one morning during my quiet time god brought me to a passage I had not planned to use in this series, but it uh, just spoke to my heart, and uh, I mentioned it in, on my Twitter account and, and uh, Instagram account earlier this week, but I, I want us to begin by looking at this in Psalm 144, verse 12, because I, I love the image. Notice what it says if you don't have your Bible. It says, let our sons, now notice this, be, let our sons in, in their youth, when they, when they become teenagers, let them be as grown-up plants. 
I love that image. And then the daughters. Our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. That, that speaks to the dreams, the big picture issue, the big stuff that we, we want for our kids. And, and starting with the sons, you know, our sons and their youth be as grown-up plants. It's, he's really talking about we want them to be mature beyond their years. Okay? I mean, this is a tomato plant, and uh, if I go home this afternoon and, and plant this, probably sometime, I say, well, this is 1st of May, so sometime around July, in July, pushing into August, I'll have tomatoes on this plant. It'll grow. And uh, hopefully, you know, by the way, I love these things. I just love tomatoes. Y'all like tomatoes? I'm taking these home. I'm sorry. Um, but but it, but it's amazing. It starts out even smaller. It starts just as a seed, right? And so did that child. And it grows just like a plant. Now, I could plant this today and for the first two or three weeks never water it. Don't take care of it. It's probably not going to do a, a good job of producing Right? I have, to, I have to tend to it. I have to be intentional, uh, especially until it gets established. I have to watch for the bugs. Right? I have to watch for disease. If I want this in two or three months. Um, I like steak. Anybody like steak? Okay, I like to marinate them for about 48 hours before I cook them. And, uh, and I love grilling pepper. I like these better than the green peppers with my steak. Love those things. And again, what happens? You get the picture? Now what he's saying is, and I think it's our dream, our heart desire for our children and our grandchildren is they become these mature plants that produce beautiful fruit in life. It takes time. It takes nurturing. And, 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 and we want them to, to do it well. And I love the image that the idea that, that we want them to be mature beyond their, their, their years. In other words, rather than it taking 90 days to produce this, let's do it in 60. When they're teenagers, let them be as smart and as mature and together as uh, the average American is when he's 35. Because we all know that the preteen and teen years and college years and young adult years are dangerous times in life, correct? And let's just be honest, as parents, grandparents, that's the season in life we often worry about the most, pray about the most when it comes to our kids because that's when they can really make a mess of stuff. And so you don't want your teenager to be a typical teenager. You want them to be smarter than a typical teenager, right? Isn't that what you want? You want them to be mature beyond their years. And the daughters, it's the same idea. It's just a different picture. He's, you know, Greek architecture 2,000 years ago, all those beautiful beautifully carved, strong columns that would hold up those magnificent palaces and, and forms and, and so on. Or even in the, the Middle East, uh, stately mansions would have in the corner these beautifully carved uh, beams, if you will, that, that held it up. And so they were beautiful to look at, but they're also strong. And so it's the picture that you, that you want your daughters to grow up to be beautiful people on the inside and the outside, but you want them to be strong. That, that can hold up a home, that can hold up a life, that don't crumble under the pressures of life. He's saying the same thing about both the daughters and the sons, just in different pictures. We want them to grow up and be strong and mature, right? Isn't that the dream we all have for our children and our grandchildren? Anybody have a different dream? That's what we want for them. And um, so we pray. We pray to that, to that end. But a lot of times we put most of our energy 
if we're not careful, and even as grandparents, we can be guilty of this, into nurturing that kind of maturity in our children in every area of life except spiritually. If we're not careful, we can leave it to the church to do the spiritual work. And we're going to, we're going to focus on the career work. We're going to focus on the study habits. We're going to focus on the extracurricular activities. We're going to focus on the, the social life and, and, and sort of be part of the other, but we're going to depend, if we're not careful, on the church to do all the spiritual work. And that's a mistake because it doesn't work. Not as effectively as the parents saying, just as I want my children to be mature physically and intellectually and socially, I need to do what I can to see that my children are mature beyond their years spiritually in their relationship with Jesus Christ, their love for Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. If a child grows up and becomes a teenager or a college student or a young adult who loves Jesus with all his heart, all her heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, guess what? They're not going to make a lot of the stupid decisions that other teenagers and young adults make. And you fix a majority of your problems from the get-go by just helping them learn how to fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's not the, the last resort. That's the first. If this is what you're looking for spiritually and in life, that's where we start. That's the starting place. Now, um, here's the thing. The Bible teaches and research confirms, it proves, that we increase the likelihood of this happening when we are intentional in what we do and how we do it. It can happen. God, God can work in anybody's life even when we don't do our part. But we increase the odds, we increase the likelihood of the outcome we're longing for if we do certain things, certain ways. We're going to talk about that. And, and, and I recognize it can seem like an overwhelming responsibility. And it is. That's what being a parent is. That's, what's being, that's what being a grandparent is. And that's why, you know, our, our, we exist as a, a church family to, you know, love God, love people, and make disciples. That's why all of us individually exist, love God, love people, make disciples. Part of that is loving family. And one of the priorities is how do we help families be strong and healthy and godly and happy? And so that's why this matters. Now, one, one more passage before we get to Joshua, which is the main passage. Look in Psalm 127 real quickly. Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4. Beautiful passage here. Children are a gift. Correct? Now, I know you may not feel like that at 3 o'clock in the morning when they've had a bad diaper and they're crying and they're hungry and waking, up, waking you up. But they're a gift from God. They're a blessing. They really are. I mean, they're such a blessing we keep having kids, right? I mean, it's, they are a gift from God. They're a treasure. But he said they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Now, a couple of things there. An arrow you shoot. Well, if you don't aim at anything, you'll hit anything. If you want to hit a target, you aim at a target. If this is what you want, then as you shoot the arrow, your child is the arrow, and you, every day, 
They're in your home. You're, you're aiming that arrow somewhere. If you want this, you need to intentionally aim it at this. And by the way, in a warrior's hand, battle, you want a soldier to shoot straight. And our families and our children are in a war. They're in a battle, which makes it even more important that we aim that arrow at the right target and be intentional every day of life. Now, I know a lot of grandparents in this service, and the research tells us that parents have much more influence than grandparents on children but grandparents do have influence and you need to seize that and if you're sitting here thinking i this this series it's nice but i don't need it you have the listen biblically you have the responsibility to mentor younger mothers and younger fathers that's a god-given responsibility and learning about What's involved in that, especially in today's culture, is critical to fulfill your role as a grandparent or a great-grandparent to maximize your influence. And so I strongly urge you to take this sermon series seriously and make some notes and, and invest. And here's the thing. I love that image of the, of the warrior because if, we, if this is what's res, the result, if this is what's produced, guess what? Then those children, those grandchildren become warriors for Jesus Christ. And they change this world. If we don't do this intentionally, the world changes them. So our goal is to help. Now, today is going to be more of an introductory message, and I'm already halfway through my time and just getting started. I'm going to use three tools, three resources this month. First one is the Bible, God's Word. We're going to look. We're going to look at biblical principles, okay? But the Bible doesn't talk about how do you deal with social media. Biblical principles can help you, but it doesn't ever. It doesn't. You know, I haven't found Instagram in the Bible yet. So how do you deal with that? Okay. So we're going to look at scriptural principles, and then for practical help, we're going to look at three other resources. One is this book called Why They Stay, and you see it was stray with the R. Out because there's a lot of literature written in the last decade or so about younger generations abandoning the church when they become young adults. Not all, but you know, a, a, a significant number. Well, this, this book is different. This one is a research project that focuses on young adults, those who are in their 20s and early 30s who grew up in church that now as young adults are still in church. It's a major research project nationally, not looking just at Baptists, but at uh, uh, other Protestant children who as a, grew up in church, as adults, remained in church, and why did they stay? Because so much of the literature is about why the kids leave. This is all about why did they stay? This book is so important. I had our entire staff team read this. We spent a half a day discussing it, and at Thanksgiving this year I gave copies to my children and their spouses with instructions as a 60-year-old dad, read it because we're going to talk about it. <laughs> So we're going to look at this because it identifies 17 factors that increase the likelihood your children will stay in church and love Jesus when they are adults. Now this is not a, you know, a sit down, you know, easy story read. This is a research project. And some of the 17 things are more important than the others, but we're going to look at some of those in these sermons. Now, some of you say, I just want to hear about, no, 
You need to know how do you deal with practical issues in life. The Bible can give us principles. This helps flesh out the application in daily life of those principles. And I'd encourage you to consider buying and reading that book. The other two that we'll look at a little bit less is a major research project by Lifeway that also looked at young adults, grew up in church and are still active in church, and uh, examined their faith characteristics. As young adults, which one of these young adults that grew up in church, what kind of Christians are they? How active are they? How strong is their faith? And then tried to identify what were the practices that these, these young adults, when they were children growing up, did on a regular basis that helped produce the kind of young adults they became. And then the last one, a Harvard grant study, started back in the 1940s. Now, you know, the average person who went to Harvard, especially back then, was you know came from a pretty pretty you know healthy background in terms of economics and education background and social status and all that. And so they started tracking these young Harvard college students in the 1940s all the way up to the, to today, the ones that are still alive, and they compared it to a group of inner-city teenagers whom they also tracked over all those decades. And they were looking for patterns of behavior that led to health and satisfaction and success and patterns that did not. And so I'm I'm not going to share with you all of that, but I'm going to pull tidbits out from time to time that help us understand these biblical principles so that we can be better equipped to raise kids, have influence on our children and our grandchildren and so on, so that when they're adults, they love Jesus they're active in church. They're, they're, they're mature. They are a beautiful red tomato, not one with wormholes all in it. All right, so do you, do you know what we're doing then? Are you, give me something. I, 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 you with me? You ready? You ready to learn? And um, this is going to be more of a teaching series. Um, if, you, if you want to hear me shout, this is the wrong time to come to church. If you want to learn, great time to come to church. All right. Let's look today. Um, uh, let me give you one more caveat. Man, I need twice as long to preach this. Um, in life, there are no guarantees. Right? I mean, how long we're going to live, how everything's going to turn out. There are no guarantees. There are no magic buttons you can push that will guarantee your child will be this. Why? Because God created each of us with free will. We make decisions, and so do our kids as they grow, right? What we're doing with all of this is is, is these things we're talking about, they give your children a head start. They increase the odds in your child's favor. They are much more likely to turn out this way if you do certain things than they are if you don't do certain things. So no guarantees, but you give them a much better likelihood of ending up as mature fruit, which is what we all want. But in the end, they're free individuals just like you are. There are some of you who come to church regularly, but you don't love Jesus with all your heart. You're here. It's habit. It's your lifestyle. You want to be here. It's good. But in terms of really passionate love for Jesus, you're not there. And you're going to find out that has an impact on this. Potentially. So, um, we all know kids who grow up in homes where Jesus is loved and honored and they struggle, right? We know kids who grew up in a non-Christian home. That be, you know, Monisa, myself, neither one of us grew up in a Christian family. So God can do anything. But we're talking about what are the odds? How do you improve the likelihood? 
And if I can improve the chance, of, but even by 50% of my child being this or my grandchild being this, even a 50% improvement of that opportunity, I'm going to take it, won't you? Does that make sense? Any head start, I, any advantage I can give them, I want to give them. Now, today we're going to talk about your love for God. Um, and really, and I've probably jumped in my notes and messed the guys up top up some, but uh, I've, I've organized all of this under, all of these findings under four, four headings, four, four categories, if you will. It's all about love, real, authentic, genuine love. The first one, and, and there's factors under this we're going to talk about a little bit today, is, is how you love God. Not just do you go to church. How do you love God? The second one, next Sunday on Mother's Day, loving your spouse. You, you'll, you'll learn some things that research and Scripture tells us about the way husbands and wives love each other and the influence it has on what happens to their kids. Third one, how you love your child. Not just how you provide for them, but how you love them. Even how you discipline them, how you go about that. And then the last one, how you love the church. Research is so clear that the way you relate to the church is critical to this. And so we're going to break all that down over these next uh, few weeks. And, and, if, and hopefully I can do it in four weeks. I'll try. That's the goal anyway. All right. Love for God today real quickly in my last seven minutes. <laughs> uh, Joshua. Book of Joshua, chapter 4. The book of Joshua. Here's the story. Uh, Moses is dead. Joshua is now the leader. They've already left Egypt, wandered in the wilderness 40 years, entering the promised land come up to the Jordan River at flood stage. And just like God parted the Red Sea, he parts the Jordan River. Priests carry the Ark of the Covenant out into the water. The waters recede. They stand in the middle of the river while the nation walks across into the promised land. After everyone is across, God tells Joshua to do something. He gets one man from each of the 12 tribes. They go back into the river where the priests are still standing holding the Ark of the Covenant, and they pick up large stones and carry them out of the river. And over here on the bank where the people are, they set them down. Joshua then goes back into the river, and he gathers 12 stones, and he builds a monument, if you will, there in the middle of the river, the dry river where the, where the priests are still standing with the Ark of the Covenant. And after he builds that monument with 12 stones, he and the priests with the ark walk out of the river and the waters come back. And then they take those 12 stones that the men, one man from each tribe, had carried out of the river they had, from where they had just crossed. And in Gilgal, they build a monument out of those 12 stones. Now, they're not little rocks. They're big stones. And so we pick it up in verse 20, Joshua 4, verse 20. These 12 stones... When they had taken, which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he had he dried up before us until we had crossed. And notice verse 24, that all the people, not just your children, but other people on the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, real, real quickly, give me some lessons from that. One of the things he's saying 
Because if you're going to maximize your influence on your children and grandchildren, your experiences with God have to be real. They had a miraculous encounter. God did something in their life. They saw it. They experienced it. And you can't give to children and grandchildren what you don't have. You can't give them something real if what you have is less than real. So you need to have a real experience with Jesus Christ, a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Second lesson, you need to celebrate it and talk about it. You need to celebrate and talk about your experiences with God. What has he done in your life? How has he blessed you? How do you depend on him? What are your experiences? Let them hear you talking about and bragging on Jesus Christ. If all your kids and grandkids hear is you complaining about people and complaining about stuff, you're not going to motivate them to do anything great. Brag on Jesus. Talk about what God's doing in your life. And talk about even through the hard times, the tough times, how you lean on Him. Give Him glory and give Him credit. That's what this monument was all about. Pointing back to God and what He had done. Give Him the glory. Let your kids see, see it in you. Let them, you, you be their example. You, you be their model. Yesterday, Monisa and I were, were talking and uh, started talking about when uh, she was in Germany and Italy for over a month when Jacqueline had her uh, surgery for breast cancer. And Liam uh, was about five at that time. And he, uh, he, he started noticing that every evening when Monisa would go to bed, she, and I can't do this, I, I hate to lay down and read, she'd lay in bed and read her Bible. And he watched her. Now that surprised him, but every night she did that for over the month that she was there. And she said after um, two or three weeks, he asked her about it. And then he got out his Bible. Do your kids see you loving Jesus? Do your grandkids see you loving Jesus? Because they learn from what you do as much, if not more so, than from what you say. Let them see it in you, make it visible. Let them catch you at home reading the Bible. Let them catch you praying. Let them see you serving God. Take them with you. I've mentioned before there were times when Stephen was young and I'd go out to make a, a visit on Saturday to see somebody who maybe visited our church or whatever. Sometimes I'd take him with me. Now I had to bribe him by saying, after we'll go get some ice cream. But he went with me. And now in his career, you know, you know what we've talked about? Some of the lessons he saw me do in ministry and so on, he's applied to his career and it's helped him advance. Because life is about relationships and people. And so let them see you. Take them with you. Don't, don't, don't do everything separate. And let that be true in your relationship with your children at every age of their development, from preschool to elementary to youth to college to young adulthood. And uh, give you a challenge because I've got to wrap this up. This week, I want you to do something. And if your kids are out of town and you can't do it this week, maybe pick up the phone or plan, 
put it on the calendar and do it. I want you to do two things. Here's the challenge for this week. Share your story, your personal story of salvation, your testimony with your kids. It is amazing how many children and grandchildren don't know how their parents or grandparents came to faith in Jesus Christ. Have never heard your testimony, never heard your story of your encounter with Jesus Christ. Share your story with your children and your grandchildren. Secondly, share your baptism story with them. Do you know the research tells us, listen to this, children who are baptized are 400% four times more likely to stay in church as adults compared to those who aren't baptized. And that's why last Sunday I stressed the fact, this, this talk in our culture today, well, you know, following Jesus is all that matters. The church doesn't matter. Being baptized, nonsense. It matters. God ordained it. It's biblical, and it makes a difference. Now, the caveat is that your child's salvation experience needs to be one they remember. So don't push them when they're too young. Because the research says they need to remember. It needs to be memorable, and it needs to be meaningful for them. And their baptism needs to be both memorable and meaningful for them. And if when they're older they don't even remember it or barely remember it, the impact is less. So that balance of teaching and guiding, but letting it come and be real and meaningful, it's important. But how you do it is also important. So share with them your story of your salvation and of your baptism. Now, a couple things from the book, and then I've got to close because I'm already uh, out of time. You know, you know one of the surprises in reading this? Sort of surprise, not a surprise. There are times when you need your little kids and grandkids sitting in church beside you. The research talks about the positive influence of kids and grandkids worshiping with parents and grandparents. Now, I know there's challenges with that, right? I, I remember that time, that, little, that one season when we had three services downtown, and there was about a year when Stephen and Jack, when they were, I don't know how old they were, five, six, seven, I don't remember, somewhere in that range, had to sit on the front row with Daddy till it was time for them to leave for children's church, and I got up to preach. And uh, that was the best they ever behaved in church. <laughs> See, sit in the back, and you make it, make it harder on yourself, just, a, you know, yeah. But no, no. Um, and I know, so we have ministries, and, and, and children's ministry, very important, makes a huge difference. The research says that. But there also need to be times your kids are sitting with you in worship. Not always on another side of the room. Don't, so don't do everything in a silo where your children do all their spiritual stuff in this silo, your teenagers do all their spiritual stuff in this silo, and you as mom and dad do all your spiritual stuff in this silo. There needs to be some integration, some things you do together in service, in worship, in praying together. Research says it. It's biblical. And so uh, this summer, if you hear a little grumbling, understand what we're doing. We're encouraging young parents this summer put their kids in Sunday school one hour. And those who are in elementary age, okay, elementary age, bring them with you to worship some this summer. Sooner or later, they have to learn how to sit in church, don't they? But more than that, they, gotta, they need to be able to see you singing your heart out to Jesus Christ because you love Jesus Christ. They need to see God at work in big people's lives. So do with that what you will, but that's what the research says. Secondly from this, this book, a high view of Scripture matters. They are much more likely to take God's Word seriously and stay true to Jesus when they're grown if 
when you're raising them, you take God's word seriously. You believe it. You read it. They see you read it. You talk about its practical application to life in terms of how it helps you make decisions, helps you deal with issues, helps you forgive people and work on relationships. You need to let them see the practical impact it has on your life. You, you need to have your Bible. You need to have it open. You need to be in Sunday school learning the Word of God. You need to be showing them that the Word of God is priority in your life if you want it to be a priority in their life. Third, they need to see your love for God at church and home. Not just church, also home. Because what you do in the four walls of your house ends up being just as important as what you do in the four walls of this building. I want you to think about something. So many things trying to disciple our kids, influence our kids, schools, the media, TV, movies, music, video games, social media, their friends, the culture, their own hearts that can mislead them. But you have the potential to be the single biggest influence in your child's life. And it all starts with how genuinely and visibly you love God. 1988, there was a, a major earthquake in Armenia. Over 25,000 people died. And one small town, the, the school totally collapsed. And uh, parents gathered crying in the hope of any survivors just totally collapsed. But there was one dad who wouldn't give up. And he walked over to the rubble. He identified the place where he thought his son's classroom was. And he started moving rubble. Nobody would help him because it was just hopeless. They discouraged him, told him to quit. And he said no. He explained to them that he made his son a promise that he would be there for him any time he needed him and he was going to dig. And he worked alone. Eight hours passed moving rubble. Twelve hours. Twenty-four hours. Thirty-six hours moving rubble. And at the 38th hour, he moved a heavy piece of rubble, concrete. And he heard voices. And this exhausted dad screamed, Armand! And from below, little boy said, Dad, it's me, Armand. And then the little boy said, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, you'd save them. A few minutes later, that dad pulled out Armand and 13 other kids. When the building collapsed, it formed a tent-shaped pocket in which they survived. Your family, your kids have an enemy. And he'll use everything in this world, everything in this culture to crush them. And God has put you as a parent and as a grandparent in their lives first. 
even before the church, to save them, to train them, to help them have the best opportunity possible to become this. But brothers and sisters, the foundation for all of it is a heartfelt, genuine love for Jesus Christ. Because if you want your kids to love Jesus, guess what? You show them how by doing it in your own life. If you want it real in their lives. Now, God God can work in spite of you. Thank God. But you increase the odds. Let it be real in your life. I want us to stand. We're going to sing a song. And um, the altar is is open for you to come and pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And pray for yourself. Listen, I'm 60 years old. I'm praying God gives me a lot more years. But a more important prayer is that next year I love him more than I do this year. Because it doesn't matter what our age is, we don't stop growing in our love for Jesus. Love for family gets deeper. Love for Jesus should get deeper. Where you are is not where you have to be a year from now. You can be someplace even better a year from now. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? Huh? And do, do you know that some of you, I know some of you think, man, I've made so many mistakes, it's too late. No, 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 listen. Do you know that, that when kids, small kids, adult kids, see a parent or a grandparent change at any age, and they know that changes because of Jesus. It influences those kids and grandkids. Because they see the change. Let them see it in you. Don't hide it. Let it be out there in the open, invisible. So let's sing and you come and you come and pray. Join the church. Jamie's here. I'm here. Come and join the church. Pray. But whatever. Just come and make decisions for the Lord and pray. Right now, let's seek God.